Begin transmission. Transmission. The Frontline Gaming Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network presenting Art of War with Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Art of War podcast. I'm your host, John, and joining us today all the way from sunny California is Jeff Poole, who recently finished top eight at LVO with Orcs, of all things. Uh, joining me, as always, is my co-host, Nick Nanavati, who doesn't really need an introduction, but I'm going to give you one anyway. He's basically won everything in the world of 40K, is a very accomplished player, and I'm sure all of you have heard of him, um, <clears throat> but he's going to help us break everything down. Uh, as always, you can find us on the Frontline Gaming Network. Hopefully you found us there today, where we have lots of fantastic, competitively-minded podcasts like Chapter Tactics with our host, Pablo. Um, 40K Stat Center, the second best podcast on that, uh, on that network. You're welcome, Val. <laughs> uh, singles from the Frontline, and of course us, The Art of War, where we break down lists uh, like nobody's business. All right, Nick, why don't you go ahead and introduce us to Jeff, tell us a little bit about him, and uh, let's get started. Yeah, Jeff's one of the better known players and more accomplished ones on the West Coast of the United States. He uh, he and I actually played a couple years back uh, at LVO 2018 in uh, Eldar versus Eldar Mirror back in the day. So he's been rocking it out for a few years now on those top tables. Uh, he made another top eight appearance this year with uh, orcs of all armies, like you said, Crushing Pablo's dreams over on Signals of the Frontline and Chapter Tactics, who has for four years in a row made a bet that orcs make top eight to no avail. Finally, he's decided not to make such wager, and Jeff over here decided to make top eight with orcs. So, really, it's all about beating up on Pablo. So I can I can respect that. But anyways, uh, enough about that. Let's just jump right into it. Jeff, how are you doing? Me, I'm great. And now that I've crushed Pablo's hopes and dreams, I'm even better. That's the answer I wanted to hear. Couldn't have asked for something better myself. So why don't you tell us about this mythical orc list that made top eight? Well, uh, it's actually not that special. It's just a bunch of orc boys. Um, so I'll go through the list, though, uh, nonetheless. It is three battalions uh, and three different clans. The first clan is Evil Sons, which gives uh, the orcs plus one move, plus one advance, and plus one to charge. Uh, and also allows them to uh, ignore the penalty for advancing and shooting assault weapons. I have in that detachment, I have a war boss on a war bike with the power claw, and I have a big mech in mega armor with a custom force field. Uh, that detachment has three units of, uh, two units of 30 boys, one with shootas, one with choppas, and then another unit of 25 boys with uh, with choppas. Um, all those guys have power claws on the knobs. Uh, except actually the 25 man has a big chopper because of some points I needed to shave off the list. Um, then it's an evil, I'm uh, sorry, a, a bad moons battalion, which has two weird boys in it, has 30 shooter boys and two units of 10 Gretchen. And then it has 15 tank buster boys with six bomb squigs, which are, I love those little bomb squigs. They're so fun. Uh, and then the last battalion is a death skull battalion. And that has three big mechs with shock attack guns. Each of those guys has a little grot oiler following them around to uh, take, take sniper bullets for them. And it has three units of Gretchen, and it has Mad Doc Grotznik, who um, uh, provides a six plus uh, or six up ability to ignore wounds after they've been suffered for any orc unit within three inches of him. I don't know if that's uh, specific enough, or you want me to go into more no, detail no, or anything? Great. That's great. Thanks, Jeff. Um, so it's a really, I mean, it's, it's it's a lot of boys, exactly like you said. But there are some interesting things I want to go into it. First, um, there are no smash guns, which I think have been a staple in a lot of orc lists for the past six, seven, eight months. Uh, I imagine, this is just my speculation, that you didn't do that because the ITC format really punishes you for taking them with kill, kill more, and butcher spill being basically all given up off that one unit, essentially. Uh, is that why, or is there more to it? If I was a good player, I'd say yes, that's exactly why. But the real reason is because <laughs> I don't have any smasher guns. And uh, I, I mean, I'm a, I love orcs. I convert everything up if I can. I have a couple of uh, big guns that are mech guns that are uh, modeled up. I only have like four or five of them. So for me, it's like I could cobble together a bunch of mech guns. But in reality, I don't really want to 
do that modeling project and be and because of the reasons you just uh, enumerated they are not in my opinion uh helpful for the orc list because there's a philosophy behind this list and the philosophy is everything that you can shoot has one wound uh unless you're, of course you're a sniper it's either a character or a model with one wound so because of that it it is essentially as a concept telling my opponent i don't care about your last last cannons i don't care about your battle cannons i don't care about your uh any other heavy anti-vehicle weaponry in your list it's just going to kill an orc boy or a gretchen uh and that is kind of the concept is it, it it takes my opponent's list choices and invalidates some of them actually jeff that's really interesting because i think with everybody moving to like intercessors with stalker bolt rifles that kind of thing like did you find just in general that the meta was not prepared to deal with just a horde of stuff like is that sort of the concept yeah exactly yeah i mean I've been playing this essentially this list since the summer, um, and one of the primary reasons I took it to LVO is because I didn't have much practice with, well, didn't have as much practice as I would want to have with another list. I was testing out some chaos stuff because I love chaos, um, but I decided, you know, I don't have the reps, and this list as a concept, as you were saying, John, is is actually good, well suited for the meta, with the exception of something we'll get into later, which is a big. Uh, boogeyman that i end up dodging um but the the stalker bolt rifle on troops is is great because it's just you know i don't care about your two damage i mean i kind of do i have a six up feel no pain but um it, it does it, they don't put out a huge rate of fire and because of that they can't kill that many orcs that makes a lot of sense i think it's a really good approach to the metagame right now i know if i personally was to try to play works at lv it would be something very similar to what you did um, another question I have for you is why are there no Ludas in your list? There's another kind of staple unit falling off the wayside a little bit since the, the spring FAQ last year kind of nerfed them, but they're still pretty useful and a good supplement uh, or replacement rather if you're not taking smashing guns. What's that about? Well, I like Ludas and I have uh, 25 of them modeled up, so that's not an impediment for me either. But to me, the big, the big reason I don't like Ludas is there's two main reasons. The first one is that they're minus one AP. And with in my local meta in LA and what I expected to see at LVO, um, there's going to be a lot of stealthy Marines. Uh, that wasn't the case. Everyone was either in Iron Hands or Imperial Fist that I played, but stealthy Marines kind of bothered me or scared me. You know, I, I don't want to have that minus one AP and then suddenly everything has a three up save. Um, not that tank buses have much better than only two AP, but having that is, is kind of, um, I didn't want to use the minus one AP and have to rely on it to try and kill big things because minus one AP isn't going to get through enough armor to really do the job, in my opinion. And the second part, uh, point with Ludas is they compete uh, for stratagems with my shock attack guns. And the Ludas want to sit back in the backfield and they want to shoot with more DACA and they want to shoot twice with the, uh, with the Bad Moon stratagem. Um, and they need grot shields to really function. And in this list, I only have 20 Bad Moon Gretchen, which is not enough to protect Ludas for more than one turn. Um, and the second thing is they're going to be competing with that more DACA stratagem, which I want to use on my Warlord Shock Attack Gun um, because he gets plus one to wound against vehicles. And so I found that the, the Ludas compete for the shooting-based stratagems that I like to use, and they also... Um, I don't have enough Gretchen to really protect them in this list. I mean, I could easily slot out the tank buses and put in Ludas, but with only 20 Gretchen, it's kind of um, the Ludas aren't going to do enough work over the course of the game before they die. So I don't know if that answers your questions about the Ludas, Nick, but that's kind of my Absolutely rationale. Absolutely does. No, that makes a lot of sense. So um, I was going to ask a different question about tank buses, but now your explanation has kind of caused a different path. So. Your shock attack guns, you say your Ludas compete with them for your strats, you know, more DACA, shoot twice, that kind of thing. But the Ludas do a different type of shooting than the shock attack guns, usually, I mean, because there's no average to a shock attack gun. But either way, a shock gun's going to be a relatively low amount of shots, high AP, high damage. Luda, high volume of shots, low AP, medium damage. So they do different things, really. I mean, like, a sh you're not going to more DACA and shoot twice a shock attack gun into, like, 30 cultists, but you might do that to Ludas, who could actually kill 30 cultists for that kind of thing. Did you find that you ever missed that kind of different profile at all? 
No, um, I did not. I have um, 115 orc boys that are really good at killing other hordes. Um, you know, so it, it, I didn't actually end up playing any hordes at LVO. Um, but if I do run into a horde, orc boys are gen- are very good at eliminating those those mass bodies because they can charge in, they can fight twice, they they get a ton of attacks if I warpath them. Um, you know, with, on the chopper units, you can get up to five attacks a guy. So that's 150 attacks, and they'll they'll mow through anything that needs to get mowed through. Um, the shock attack guns are not there to your, as you said, to kill crappy infantry. But with the meta the way it was going um, before LVO, with the mar- the marine dominance that's been kind of sweeping the the ITC for the last several months, it it wasn't really a concern I was I was having. You know, like I have the orc boys to get through the odd horde list I might encounter, but really the shock attack guns are more than fine to be picking up marine vehicles or intercessors because I mean their intercessors are not easy to kill for orc boys. So I've on many occasions shot shock attack guns into intercessors just to pick up my kill. You know, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So. Um... I guess the last elephant in the room here is the tank busters. We did have Liam Hackett on a long time ago for the long-term Art of War fans or those of the ones who haven't kind of caught up to every episode. And he swears by the same thing, 15 tank busters with squint, six squint bomb people. Um, what's that about? Like, how, what were they there for? What did you oh. take them you know, Well, they're there to bust tanks, bro. And that's they take they take names and bus tanks. Now they they are um, literally there to kill big vehicles. And in the marine meta, there's a lot of these <clears throat> uh, vehicle heavy marine lists. You know, Iron Hand list with the tech marine that gives plus one to hit to everyone around them. Imperial Fists have a lot of artillery. All their artillery are vehicles. Um, and then you know, Eldar planes is also a thing. You know, um, knights, both chaos and imperial variety. When tank buses shoot at tanks, they are just like they. They're in their element, and you more DAC of them, they drop down because I always deep strike them, almost always. Sometimes, if my opponent doesn't have indirect fire, I'll start them on the board to save two command points. But typically, I'll spend two command points to deep strike them. They come in and they compete with those same stratagems that I was talking about for my uh, shock attack guns, the more DACA stratagem. So the more DACA, and they'll split their fire between as many vehicles as they can within reason. You know, two or three vehicles if I can, or maybe one night if it's a big, if it's a big target. Let's go into that for a second really quick. So uh, tank buster math is one that's it's hard to actually grasp unless you've seen it. So let's say you're shooting like rhino type equivalent vehicles, you know, 10 to 12 wounds, toughness 7, 3 to save. How would you split fire for shooting those? Can you walk us through like the math on it? Yeah, so what I would do if, let's just say there's three, three infinite amount of targets, but I would choose three targets. I would put five rockets and two squigs into each one. Um, and generally the math is you're going to hit with two, just say two of those five on the first outset. And then you're going to reroll the three that you missed because when you shoot at a tank, you get full rerolls of tank buses. So you're going to, with those three, you're going to hit with one more of those. So you can get three hits and then those are going to generate extra shots. So you're going to end up between anywhere between five, five, around generally five hits, one hit per guy you shoot, you shoot the two bomb squigs are both going to hit and you might get an extra shot from the bomb squigs. So you're going to have like eight hits on each on each vehicle, you're going to get five wounds or so. They're going to fail three saves, and you're going to do nine to 12 damage, depending on the the math. And the nice thing about tank buses is you do that, and so you may not ace all three vehicles right away. You might have to shoot again and kill another vehicle or two. So that's kind of the... Or you can pick it up with shock attack guns later in the in the turn if, if that's what you're going for. Um, sometimes, depending on the vehicles, if they're tougher... Or they have cover or an invulnerable save. You're gonna maybe just go, you know, half and half. Um, and if you're shooting a knight, you're generally gonna shoot everything into one knight. And then the nice thing about tank buses is, as soon as you're done shooting them, you can spend two command two command points to shoot them again and pick up any spares that you need to pick up or shoot at other targets if you have other targets. Like they can come down and kill four LR planes, no problem. On LR planes, I usually would just do two and like half and half essentially. So the first round of folly, uh, first volley of fire shoots at two planes and picks them up and probably with more damage to than they, than is necessary. You'll probably do 15 damage or something like that to these planes with 12 wounds. And then the, the second round of shooting, you pick up another two planes. Now, if you're playing a good player, they're generally not going to give you that many targets for your tank buses. So um, it doesn't always work out for you, but you know, there's usually you can you can sort of 
blowing holes in their screen with their shock attack guns on turn one and two, and then drop the tank buses down on turn three um, when you've kind of made made some holes. Yeah, that's absolutely devastating. Um, I think a lot of people sleep on tank buses because they kind of shoot once, then oftentimes die right after. They were overshadowed by Ludas early on, and now uh, smash guns and all that. But they hit so hard. Yeah, they're, really so they're a, a wrecking ball. And then and and you 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 picked up on something that I mean, everyone's pretty obvious. They do come in and then they die. And so the, although they they do compete with my shock attack guns for Mordaka. Um, you know, I, they come in and they just die, but the real kind of synergy they have with the shock attack guns is that the tank buses are reliable. They're extremely reliable. I know that I can bring them down and kill two vehicles. No problem. Maybe three or four, even if I can shoot them twice. Um, but even if I like roll really poorly, I can still shoot them twice and pick up two vehicles. No problem. It can kill a night and a half, sometimes even two nights, depending on how lucky I get, um, which is run round of shooting. And so they offer me the reliability that the shock attack guns do not because shock attack guns get a random number of shots and a random strength uh, characteristic. So, you know, my shock attack guns, I have three of them in the list, and over six turns of shooting, they're going to get 18 shots. You get Some of those are going to be really good, good, but sometimes, you know, you roll your four strength and <laughs> it's not a good yeah. thing against, against an Imperial Knight. You're like, oh, I'm wounding you on sixes. Okay, shit. <laughs> you know, and uh, like... Two of my uh, games at LVO, I played against um, Iron Hands with three flyers. And I'm like, okay, I can kill two flyers with my Warlord on turn one, and that'll reduce the amount of anti-horde shooting they have. And of course, my Warlord fails to kill one flyer with his first volley and have to shoot a second volley to, to pick up one flyer. And I only kill one flyer in both games in the first turn. I mean, that's because shock attack guns are really random. So... Um, you know, the tank buses provide me that reliability. So I know when I bring them down, they're going to do work for me. And I don't have to worry about them shitting the bed on an important turn. Okay. Well, that that does bring me to a question, Jeff. So basically, it sounds like tank busters are pretty efficient shooting at vehicles. Like, how do they perform in other roles? Is that is that why there's only maybe one unit of them? Because if, if your opponent doesn't have vehicles, maybe they're not quite efficient enough for their points? That's right. Yeah, and if, if you don't have, if my opponent doesn't have vehicles, the tank, I don't expect the tank buses to do much in a game. Um, they only they reroll ones inherently because their clan, uh, their culture, their clan culture. Um, but the big power from tank buses comes from when you more DAC of them and you're able to hit on fives and you reroll everything, and then every five pluses and that generates an extra shot. So because you're rerolling everything, you're going to get an exponential more amount of hits and then generate more shots and do more damage. So um, if I do face someone with monsters, uh, like I played a Tyranid player at uh, LVO and the tank buses, they came in and they, they, they pick up a Hive Tyrant or something and they're, they're not bad, but I don't expect them to do work in that game. And so uh, I can I don't feel as bad if they don't... Um, uh, they're not as necessary in those games, I guess. And with the current meta, vehicles are very prevalent in almost every army. That's very true. So do you find that uh, with that heavy, heavy, I'll call it a beta strike, because it's not really turn one, right? It's going to be turn two or later, depending. Um, do, do you often demoralize your opponents with how much you pick up on a turn? Because because you could have the shock attack gun also go ham <laughs> on the same turn that you drop it. <laughs> yes. something, right? So. When the shock attack gun goes ham, I, I want to cry. It's so stupid. <laughs> oh, I love it. I, I, roll, I yell big money, and I, I love being in Vegas, too. I was, when I was in Vegas, it's just... It's extra good. It makes me want to go play uh, some craps or roulette after the game. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, the tank buses, like if people don't know what the tank buses can do and they don't screen out their vehicles properly or against like Eldar planes, like shit, you know, because the Eldar plane player usually has nothing but vehicles. And I can bring, they have 24 inch range, so I can bring those guys down and pick up a lot of vehicles. And if the shock attack guns happen to also do well that turn, you can pick up five vehicles, six vehicles in a turn, um, and that that would, of course, you know, understandably demoralize someone. Um, and then, you know, they they promptly kill the tank buses in retaliation, which usually makes people feel better. <laughs> That's so kind of you, Jeff. I know. Just like, oh, that feels better. I guess that that does um, bring me to the point where we should probably go through what the shock attack guns do, just for our newer players, so they can understand. Like when we say the relic shock attack gun goes ham, what that actually means. Sure. It, it is one of the most disgusting things. It might be the most disgusting thing in the game, actually. I don't know. What do you think, Nick? Is there anything that's like on par with 
just it's the, the most sheer, orky thing in the game. I'll give it that. Yeah. <laughs> just the, the sheer ludicrousness. Ludic- is that a word? Ludicrousness of it, I guess. It is. It is. It can get. It can get weird. Shock attack gun. So the shock attack gun profile is. It's a heavy gun. It has a sixty-inch range, um, and uh, it has a D6 shots. Its strength is two D6, um, and if you manage to roll a strength eleven or twelve. Every hit does D3 mortal wounds in addition to the regular damage. And uh, it has a minus 5 AP, and it has a D6 damage. Now, the Relic Shock Attack Gun is a relic that you can take because my, my Death Skull Battalion is the Dreadwa from Vigilus 1. And that gives him access to uh, a Relic Gun, which all it does, it's the same gun. It just changed the changes the shots from 1D6 to 2D6, which makes it... Much more likely you're going to get, you know, five, six, seven shots, those kind of things. So you're, you're, obviously your number of shots goes up, which is very nice. And because it's on my Warlord, I always give him the Warlord trait. Not always, but most games he gets a Warlord trait to get plus one to wound against vehicles and monsters. And if my opponent doesn't have any vehicles or monsters, I will give him the ability to snipe characters if he's within 18 inches of the character. And it also allows them to reroll ones to wound against vehicles. So the shock attack guns, like I was kind of alluding to earlier, are very random. They're very uh, volatile. You know, like I'll roll, you know, like two shots at strength three. You know, it's like, oh, that's that's really great. You know, <laughs> but you know, the the thing is, because they're deskols, their clan trait is every time you shoot a deskol unit. And since this is just a shock attack gun on one dude, it's every time he shoots, you can reroll one hit roll one wound roll, and most importantly for the shock attack gun, one damage roll. So that makes the shock attack gun extremely reliable for um, for uh, death skulls. And so you're, you're even if you're hitting on sixes because you've moved or you're shooting something with a minus one and you get like, you know, four shots at strength four or something, right? If you roll a six to hit and then you need, let's say, a five to wound and you roll a five, you're at minus five D6 damage. So like I've even shot like strength two damage and strength two into knights and done damage because you just happened to roll the six to wound, you know? Um, and with the warlord, he's wounding everything on a five at worst. So the warlord combined with the relic shock attack guns adds a lot of reliability to his model. And the other two are there to kind of complement him or to pick up things that might have only one or two wounds on them that the warlord um, doesn't want to necessarily waste his shooting on. Um, and sometimes those guys, you know, they go ham. You roll an 11 strength and like six shots and they just pick up a vehicle like like it was no, no one's business. So um, it's a very random gun. And, and like Nick said, it's very orky. Um, so I love it. It's, you know, <laughs> it's big money. I, I love random shit. You know, I'm, I'm a big proponent of like on Eldar. I always take bright lances over star cannons because I just like D6 damage. It's just, in fact, I think Nick, and when we played at LVO two years ago, I think my first Crimson Hunter did, Rolled two sixes for damage against your waves. No, I, I remember. Yeah, I was like, okay, three crimson hunters coming up. They'll probably kill one serpent between three of them. First one basically kills a serpent. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's great, man. Uh, so, because I, I, I just love that. I mean, like, yeah, you all ones too, right? Obviously, so there is that variability. But I don't know. I'm just a sucker for you know. Because you're an orc player, apparently. This this all makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, There's so, also a bit of like averages to it, right? So the average of a D6 theoretically is 3.5. So if you get three three damage hits through, which I guess is the equivalent in like a standard flat value, um, you've done nine damage to a tank or whatever you're shooting at. Versus if you're shooting three D6 damage, your average damage is 10.5. So there is actual math behind it that the D6 damage is better. It's just like when you're shooting stuff that's like Paladins, for example, where yeah. if you're shooting flat three at a Paladin, you know every shot's a kill. Yeah, but... D6 and it can go sideways. But the big shift in the math is death skulls, getting re- to reroll the damage. So, and when you're in a death skull battalion, or because of your clan trait, you get to reroll that D6. So, when you're shooting at paladins, if you get a wound through, you're if you roll a one or a two, you can reroll that and hopefully get a three up. And if you'd roll another one or two, you can use a command point to reroll that. So that every wound that you get through on that paladin unit is going to pick up a paladin because nothing would be worse than wasting your super strong shock attack on, on killing half a paladin, you know? So, right. and, and obviously, you know, it's di- it's a dice game. So sometimes the dice don't agree with you. You can reroll one into a one as I've done many times in my life, but um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm, so, 
you know, the shock attack guns with death skulls become much more reliable because you get a reroll that hit roll, you get a reroll that wound roll, and you get a reroll that uh, damage roll. So they 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 start doing a lot of work, and because you have three of them and they're characters with less than ten wounds, they sit behind two hundred orc bodies, um, or you know, one hundred and twenty orc boys and fifty Gretchen, so roughly two hundred models, and and they just shoot all game. So you get eighteen shots with them and then plus any times you fire them twice so you usually get like 20 shots out of these shock attack guns over the course of a game you're going to roll some three strengths and you're going to roll some 11 strengths you know and so you're gonna you're gonna get the the spikes and unfortunately you can't control like when those come so that's why you need something like the tank buster boys in the in the list to really bring the consistency to the list because you can't like you know if you're playing imperial knights or chaos knights you need to kill those knights early um, and that's what the tank busters are there to help you do. Um, you know, your shock attack guns might do it on turn one or two, but they might not, you know? Yeah, of course. Of course. This is just, you gotta count on something here. Yeah. And um, in my old iterations of the list, I had only 10 tank buses and it was back in the Caladius grab tank day. And I found that, you know, um, when I went up to 15, it, the power level is dramatically more like dramatically larger and it's something that I would, I would never go back down to 10 like 10 is was good and it was sufficient but 15 is more is like it's always going to be a slam dunk you know you're never going to have to worry about it missing even though with 10 sometimes it wouldn't go your way if the dice weren't you know um working out for you right that's interesting yeah. so you just hit a tipping point with 15 where you roll enough dice where you get enough consistency yeah. out of it yeah. with 10 with 10 you can't split five and five and kill two vehicles with 15, you can go 7 and 8 and maybe kill two vehicles. Most likely you will. depends on the vehicle. Um, and with the bomb squigs, they'll pick up any extra you know, damage unless you're shooting at flyers. Because the bomb squigs are annoyingly, you can't shoot flyers with them, anything with the fly keyword. So they can't right. shoot like rip, rip tides or venoms and shit like that. So against like those matchups, they just kind of sit there and take wounds for the uh tank buses when they inevitably get shot so yeah i remember i the game i played against liam with his 10 15 tank buses on bomb squigs i was playing gene steer cult so i had zero vehicles at the time but that unit shot a squad of aberrants and still killed most of the aberrants so they're you know yeah i mean t4 you know even if minus one damage they're doing two damage a pop so they're killing an aberrant every time unless you make a feel no pain so yeah it's, you know. it's still rockets to the face and d6 damage shots to the face it's not pretty for anything really um so i definitely am a big fan of your large unit tank presses i think also for the role that it's filling within the context of your army this unit needs to come down bring some consistency you don't want to mess around with that you don't want to play the margins of if I could roll that, you want to give yourself the utmost potential to just actually get the job done. Yeah. So I'm the full squad. Exactly. Uh, back on your shock attack guns, I had a follow-up question. You said sometimes uh, if there's no vehicles and monsters, I guess you would take the wallet trait for sniping characters. Now for death schools, that's only if the character is within 18 inches of your sagma. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. I wish, so, I wish it wasn't that. That'd be, that'd be, that'd be so broken. <laughs> yeah. So thankfully that rules in there. But uh, do you ever find yourself jumping your Bissagmec aggressively to try to actually slam some characters early on? Or is that just some rule that you keep in the back pocket in case it shows up? Mainly the latter. I, I usually keep it in the, in my pocket. Um, if I do aggressive, like in my shadow round game, um, I was playing Imperial fist who hid all of his artillery behind the, the, uh, walls that were at LVO, and I had to teleport my big mech to get a draw a beat on him. I was able to kill a Scorpius uh, on turn one, which was nice because it the two damage really minimizes the feel no pain aura that I get to my orc yeah. horde. Um, and that's another thing we can go over is the, the durability of this orc horde. But, um, but the main thing is with, with the sniping warlord trade. It's really, really useful against like things like Gene Stealer Cult, Chaos, other orc armies that are pushing aggressive characters at you. Um, even things like Eldar with the Yinkarn and like Farseers and stuff like that who need to get close to Doom you. Um, it may, I, that's when it really comes in useful because you're going to get things like the Contorted Epitome and like Masters of Possession and, and, uh, yeah patriarchs moving up into your grill and they might have a screen of guys in front of them so you can pick those off and in, in fact at lvo i used it to kill chaplain dreadnoughts a few times because you know those those guys are sitting in the midfield and my guys are sitting in our in my l and those 
those L's are within 18 inches of the midfield, so I can pick up uh, Chaplin Dreadnoughts even if the Leviathan is in the way. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I, I like the way you, you know, it's not like a, a good move because things can go wrong, right? So, like, you jump your sock attack on with the relic out there, we try to kill like two characters with shooting twice. If he just whiffs, because it's still 2d6 shots, 2d6 strength, you can roll poorly. Oh, yeah, and I, I would not, I would never. Uh, risk my warlord like that it would just it would there's no point because it like you said it's just too random and i'm not gonna unless i'm like down points and it's the only way i'm gonna lose the win the game would be to do that i'm not gonna i'm not gonna play, make that hell mary play um, also the opportunity cost right because like you said you get to shoot that thing six or maybe even seven eight times because you may fire it twice a couple of times right so if you did that on turn one that means you get to shoot it twice versus the other the additional five shots that you would get out of that thing. Like, come on. Yeah, exactly. You're not going to do that. Yeah. No way. So, um, since you touched on the durability of your record, um, you actually pay a premium for your durability, I guess, with the, the big mech and mega armor with the custom force field. And then also gross for if six of you pain or on any clan, if that's correct. Correct. Yeah. So, um, is that worth it over just having more guys? Just how tough are you? Yes. It's a extremely worth. I mean, like, Look, I mean, like when six, uh, or when three Iron Hand planes and three Iron Hand and Victor Warsuits shoot into thirty boys, they're probably going to pick them up, you know. But they might not pick up sixty boys; they might pick up forty-five boys instead. So, like, and so the the force field for people who don't know, it's a nine-inch bubble from the big mech. That if your unit is wholly within inside that bubble, it gets a five-up invulnerable save. And then. Grotznik is usually sitting right next to that big mech, and if you're within three inches of Grotznik, not the whole unit, but just one guy from the unit, he gives them a, a six-up feel-no-pain to ignore damage um, once they they fail their invulnerable save. And with with the advent of, you know, well, orcs have six-up armor, so any amount of AP <laughs> is uh, is a problem for, for orcs, but the invulnerable save is, is actually um, quite deceiving like i've had players like you know because i usually hide my gretchen in the back they cower like like little gretchen um hoping not to give up kills to thunder fire cans and stuff like that but i've had players shoot into my orc boys thinking oh i can pick up 30 boys no problem and then i'll roll five up in vulnerable saves and six up feel no pains and they'll get them down to like two dudes and i'll go okay i'm gonna you know either auto pass or if i have three or four guys i'll just you know use my leadership of my nearby orc unit or i'll my war boss will you know pull an old school commissar rule and punch those guys and make them stay or i'll spend two cp to make them not run away and then i have a green tide ability so i get 30 guys back you know or 28 guys depending on how many guys are surviving and that's a huge swing uh and that is actually the most demoralizing thing from the opponent is when they leave one orc left in a unit and then i get to green tide that unit oh i've done that before it's it's felt so bad <laughs> yeah and it's and it's yeah and so a lot of armies can't go through 30 orcs in one turn i mean if you have three flyers with you know assault cannons and heavy bolters and stuff you're gonna probably get through the 30 orcs but it's you're gonna have to work for it Having that five up invulnerable save and uh, a feel no pain—it's like they're not as good as plague bears or anything like that. But um, you know, it's essentially like a, a plague bear to light unit. Interesting, interesting. So, do you ever spend the three CP to extend the range on your custom force field? No, I've never done that. It's just—it's not necessary. And it, I, my CP in my list is spent before the game. I have a budget, and it's just like. I have a couple of flex points, but that is never uh, an option because it's just yeah. three CP. Uh, when, when I played Works about a year ago, I also never used a strat for essentially the same reason. Works are such a CP hungry army, you just can't afford to spend it on stupid stuff. Yeah, exactly. I have 18 command points, 17 with my specialist attachment, and then I usually buy a relic. And so um, I'm like down to 16 CP, and then I usually spend two of that to deep strike my tank buses, so I have 14 CP, and that, that'll go through. I'll be done with that in like two turns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I, I guess you also have a war boss on a bike. Um, what's the reasoning for him? So the war boss on a bike allows, um, orc infantry and biker units within six inches of him at the start of the charge phase to declare charge, even if they advance that turn. So that gives my orc horde a very, uh, long threat range. So, because every, the the three big squads of orcs are evil sons, they move six inches normally. They get plus one to their advance, so they're usually advancing ten inches. 
and then they can they can make a nine inch charge very pretty reliably and an eight inch charge even more reliably um so they have an like an 18 inch threat range on a on a average day um and so if you think about it if i'm deploying on the line and i'm playing one of those pointy maps where we're 18 inches apart you better be not on your line otherwise i'm essentially standing on top of you on turn one or you know i'm in the midfield i'm charging you with a you know a seven inch charge essentially um on turn one and that advance in charge is extremely useful when i need to be aggressive with my orc boys i don't always push my orc boys into the middle of the board but when i need to it's like absolutely mandatory to be able to do that. and because he is still an index option but still legal for some reason i don't really understand why but um he didn't get legended and i was about to ask i thought he was legended yeah he wasn't legended um and because but what happened was some for some reason the forge world entry in chapter approved has a entry for biker on war boss on bike um and he war boss on bike did not appear in the legends um thing for orcs and you know so there's a big question well what the hell is this guy in forge world is this the index version from from the index uh, xenos index or is this like some other thing question mark and so you know the las vegas open judges they said yeah you can bring this guy he's not a legend um he's actually not in the document for legend uh, legends and he has points in chapter approved 2019 so you can bring him uh was their ruling i mean i don't i don't really know uh, it's not my, <laughs> not my decision so to make. sounds like a contentious point but if you, you did your due diligence you asked the judges they said go right yeah, ahead i, I was go gonna go bring just a it. yeah i mean like if i couldn't bring him i would bring a guy on foot for the same role who uh, or uh, because you know i need that advance in charge um the guy on the bike is way more durable he has like he's you know seven wounds instead of six wounds he got an extra toughness uh no two extra toughness six um and yeah he's he, he's a durable guy he has a four-up armor which is very rare for orcs so <laughs> you know <laughs> uh, yeah he, he he and he's fast you know he he moves 15 inches and he uh, gets plus one to his advance so he can advance and charge himself so once i you know i usually give him the relic claw which is um it makes his power claw not have the minus one to hit it still doubles his strength and it gives him uh, minus three AP and flat three damage instead of D3, which is very consistent. So he can become a missile to go kill um, other people's characters or putting him into a knight or a unit of aberrants or uh, Bulgren or anything like that, that I might need to go and have some, some words with in melee. Um, that's too tough for orc boys. Cause orc boys cannot do deal with two plus armor saves. So if something has a two plus armor save, the, the war boss is usually going in there to to kill that. Because once I've advanced in charge of the orc boys, the war boss really doesn't have a purpose other than to just go kill something. Yeah. Does he, do you ever buy in the fancy relic claw and then make him all badass like that? No, I, I, I do give him the relic claw in almost every game, but he's not my warlord, so I can't give him up to... I For a long time before LVO, I was considered making him my warlord to deal with assaults and cheerings because he could take a warlord yeah. trait for plus one damage. So he would, his claw would become four damage at that point. And that really is helpful picking up centurions. I was actually going to bring that up in the, when we talk about centurions in the, yeah. the tactic, uh, matchup episode, but let's just go into it now since you've already started. Yeah. Sorry. But uh, yeah, that was my one consideration, but then he becomes my warlord and he gives up full Kingslayer points. Um, oh, I didn't think of that. And, yeah. Cause he has eight wounds and he's not a vehicle or monster. So he gives up um, full Kingslayer points. Uh, and if he wasn't that, uh, he would maybe, is it two wounds or three wounds? I don't even remember anymore, but, uh, two. Yeah. So maybe he even gave it up without that, but no one ever, <laughs> no one ever took it. <laughs> maybe he only has seven. wounds. He only has seven wounds. Maybe I think that's what it is. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, if he, but if, if he was my warlord, he would give up full Kingslayer. And because his job is to go kill things and then die and fight on death, it's not a good model to have as my warlord. And I just found that you know what, if, if I'm playing Assault and Chains, if they're going to hide in a magic box all day, there's nothing I can do about that. I'll shoot them with my shock attack guns when they're in the open, and that's how I have to deal with that matchup. I just kind of have to wait for them to come out, they're going to do their damage, and then I have to shoot them to death. Um, yeah. And I found that well, having also, the... Sorry. No, I was just going to say, having the, the Warlord trait for plus one wound against vehicles was way more... Came up in almost in every match, almost. So that's like, exactly what I was about to say. It was just the the additional opportunity cost, not just the Kingslayer points, but the opportunity cost of not getting a real warlord trade on your Sagmech. Yeah, exactly. So that I I I played, I tested it out at a, a GT with the bike the biker as my um, war boss in December, and I just didn't like it at all. So because in games where there wasn't, when I didn't need damage for, he kind of was just like, well, I guess my 
my evil sons can fall back and charge, which is not not bad, but it's not plus one to Lumian's vehicles, you know? Um, so you actually touched on another thing, which I think is kind of the real strength of orcs in this format. So you you said you didn't want to give Kingslayer on your ward, and as we go through your list, aside from Reaper, you don't really give up any secondaries. So um, do you think that's part of what your success story was at LVO, the fact that your list is really good at denying secondaries and even primaries? Aside from your two to ten grats, which I'll ask about in a second, you don't even it's not even easy to kill a unit against you. And then on top of that, it's a horde of orcs. It's going to get pulled more a lot of the time. So do you think that all come together, making you really successful at the ITC missions? Yeah, absolutely. And that is very conscious. Like the the orc horde is going to take the middle of the board unless unless I don't need to or I, I can't because some there's you know. 18 assaults and Shurians or something like that. Um, I'm going to take the middle of the board, so I'm usually going to hold more. And I, I have five units of Gretchen. Um, so the Gretchen are like, they're the kind of the 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 thing I have to take because I need three battalions and I can't take, you know, nine units of 30 boys. <laughs> I don't have the points yeah, for that. Right. Um, but you could take larger units of Gretchen just to make it not so easily killed. Yeah, I mean, I could. It would be a lot more points and I would have to drop things. And that, that I'm already like really on the edges, I could, you know, I don't have the points for that. Um, cause it's not cheap. I mean, it's 60 extra points to and go to 30 guys. And when it really going to like 15 or 20, isn't going to do much. Thunderfire cans are still going to pick up those Gretchen. They're toughness too. They're usually not inside the force field. They're usually hiding in my backfield, kind of just doing their thing. Um, trying not to die. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the, it is hard. So first of all, going to secondaries, I tell my, every opponent I tell, I said, you're going to take Reaper. And don't worry about counting the number of models that you've killed. We're just going to circle four points on Reaper here. And don't worry. So, about back when I used to play Orcs, people like around turn one or turn two after they killed a handful, they'd be like, okay, I've killed one Reaper point. Have I gotten two yet? And I was like, just I wrote down four. I was yeah. like, you got it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, even if I'm going to smash you, like even if you're like, I'm tabling you on turn two, you're probably going to kill 80 orcs. I mean, it's just like... I had a guy play it, just to go off on a tangent. LVO, not this past year, the one year before I was playing orcs. And it was a, it was a newer player, pretty new to 40k. And uh, he, he just circled a bunch of... He picked a bunch of secondaries. To be honest, I wasn't really paying attention. And then around turn two or three, I realized he hadn't picked Reaper. So I was like, what did you do? And he was like, I don't know. I wasn't. I didn't know that I should pick Reaper. And I was like, "All right, dude, we're gonna we're gonna fix this. Cross this nonsense out. Just run down Reaper. And give yourself four points." <laughs> yeah, yeah. That it's exactly it. So it's like an auto four points. But the other point, the most a lot of people will take uh, either Butcher's Bill against me or um, Headhunter. Headhunter is really hard because for the most part, my characters are behind a bunch of orcs, so they're hard to get to. And if you've if you killed all my orcs and you're killing characters, you've already won the game. So it's kind of like you're you're just going to get a bunch of points at the end um, that don't really matter because you've already stopped me. You've already killed right. Headhunter is very much unless you're playing an army like Raven Guard or something. Headhunter is very much like win more. Yeah, I've already killed you. I'll get some more points out of it. Yeah, exactly. The, barring certain sniper heavy matchups, um, it, it's going to be or super mobile matchups. It's going to be hard for you to get those those Headhunter points. And I usually tell my my opponents, I'm like, yeah, you could take Headhunter. It's not always easy to get, and it's most of the time it's actually hard. People take Butcher's Bill, which is usually good for like two points if you're going to kill two Gretchen unit or you kill, if you can, if you still have the firepower to get through 30 orcs and then a kill a unit of Gretchen, that's sometimes what happens. But I had a few players at LVO take butcher's bill against me, only get like two points out of it because they, you know, they, they try and kill 30 orcs on turn one. And they didn't do it and they didn't put any shots into the Gretchen. They didn't realize it till it was too late to, to change course. So then they, they don't get a point on turn one, turn two, they realize the errors of the way and they shoot all the thunder fire cannons into two Gretchen squads, get two points or get a point. And then on turn three, I'm like, I've either killed some stuff that can kill my Gretchen or I'm on top of them with 120 orc boys or 60 orc boys or whatever it is and they're like now i have to deal with these orc boys i don't have the luxury to just shoot the gretchen that are sitting in the back to get my butcher's bill um and if they do that's great because my orcs are not getting shot by all those anti-infantry thunderfire cannons and stuff like that so butcher's bill ended up being i mean some people would get you know three points four points but a lot of times it was people will take it and only get like two points out of it thinking that's very easy but then when they realize how durable the boys are when they're in that force field bubble it kind of becomes a you know, a little realization too late kind of thing. It's actually interesting. So in ITC, just thinking about your list, um, 
you're actually denying kills pretty well. I mean, people can get kills, right? They're gonna they're they're gonna get some kills, but um, like you said, those thirty orc boys are are pretty tough. And once they commit to killing a unit of orc boys, every shot is going there until that unit dies, um, because that's just that's just math. That's how you have to do that. But what I find else is interesting because you have 120 orc boys and you're going to be all over the whole table. A lot of those stand there, like recon can be tricky to get behind enemy lines can be tricky to get. Like there's a lot of those stand there ITC uh, um, secondaries that are kind of difficult against you or it seems like they would be anyway. Yeah, exactly. John, um, if you, if you take recon against me and you can't, and my orcs are better at fighting than whatever you're playing, then you are probably not going to get many points because I'm going to come and be aggressive at you and make sure you don't get your recon points. Um, I have 120 boys and 50 Gretchen, so I can zone you out of two quarters very easily so you can't even deep strike into those quarters. And then I'm in the half, I pass a halfway mark on the table and I'm pushing into your area so you're not able to come into my area, into the other two quarters that I kind of control. So... That is a is a thing, and and to get to your first point, where it's um your uh, um uh, the 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 kills, I, it it is deceptively durable, and people usually get one or two kills off me, but my um uh my two kills can well my shock sorry my shock attack guns can come through and get those two kills um, relatively easily, um and either either kill the same as you. Or potentially even kill more if my shock attack guns get lucky, right? That's interesting. Oh, now I can hear you. <laughs> okay. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, all those dingings. I was like, oh shit. What, oh, we're, we're good. We're good. Yeah. Sorry. I, mean, I couldn't hear John for a while. I was like, did I miss something? But I guess we're okay. All right. Moving on. Yeah. Uh, um. Would, uh, I'm sorry. I do have another question, just to follow up. So we talked a little bit about ITC. Is would you play this list in Adepticon missions? Have you looked at those at all? To be honest, I have never looked at an Adepticon mission. I live in Los Angeles, uh, in the heart of uh, Frontline Gaming and ITC land, and so I like it, it's the only format that's played here. Um, and I don't, I don't really travel for 40k. I go to LVO, I go to BAO, and I, you know, the West Coast is kind of, you know, I got, I got kids and a family, so like for me, trying to get like a weekend to fly somewhere and like play 40k for four days is kind of a big ask so um I, I i don't even know what their missions are so i don't know how well this would perform under those missions uh, parameters it would actually perform very well their adepticon missions are all about board control and this this army does board control i think one of the interesting things about your list is that it's deceptive in that when you think of 120 orcs you think wow i'm gonna run across the table punch you in the face here's my big chopper and you have gone for you can do that but you're also very much more sit there chill and just play the mission kind of works which i think is the way to do it successfully um have you found that trying to just run across the table with more close combat and whatnot has just been ineffective um so to be honest I was uh, uh, I, I often would gork instead of morking, as uh, old war boss Rich Kilt would say. Um, I I'm very guilty of like just wanting to go punch things in the face of my orcs, and try, I love try pointing shit. I just love close combat. So um, I I did have a Zen moment in LVO where I realized oh, I can just kind of sit behind this L and shoot my opponent to death with my shock attack guns and win the win the mission. And I you know I've I'm not like a bad player, but I definitely have. I have to like. That's a restraint thing for me, and like a playing more conservatively is a is a, a skill I'm working on as a player, because I like to be aggressive with my orcs and go punch things. But sometimes it's a, not a good idea because, you know, it has multiple negative effects. I mean, either you're gonna if you can like haymaker your opponent, then fine, go ahead. You know, I'm gonna rush, you know, 120 orcs at you and charge you on turn one and and deal a crippling blow to you. So it doesn't matter. That I might be giving uh, away some some durability because I'm now outside of my custom force field range, outside of the Mad Doctor's range, so I'm, my guys aren't as strong or as durable. But it doesn't really matter at that point. I've kind of crippled you. I now control the board. I'm going to play the mission and touch all your stuff in close combat, so you can't can't shoot me. So you know that's kind of um, one thing I found is that it does though. If you don't need to be that aggressive, play very very well because. 
assuming there's no like big L I can hide everything behind, the orc horde just kind of sits there and there's no way I can hide it. So it just gets shot anyway. So I can move the orc horde into the middle of the board and just kind of be there and exist on two objectives in the middle um, and hold more than my opponent. And then with the shock attack guns, I can usually kill, I'll, I'll definitely get kill one. Um, and not, not definitely. Sometimes shock attack guns don't give you kill one. <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, usually I'm good for kill one. And I might even be able to kill like the same if my opponent has just killed like two Gretchen units. The shock attack guns might pick up two units, you know, two vehicles. Um, the warlord picking up one and then the other two guys pick up a, a second vehicle or maybe I shoot one of them twice and pick up a, a, the second vehicle that way. Um, so, you know, I can usually sometimes get kill more and if you're holding more and killing the same as your opponent, it's a, you know, obviously that's a, a, a win for you, you know? Right. So really, I guess that's the, that's the whole crux of the mission, right? Just, uh, or the crux of the orc army. I say it all the time in my art of war classes on uh, the war room. But basically, it's so hard to compete with things like Space Marines and now Grey Knights on sheer brutality, like sheer brute force. Um, so being able to say, I'm not going to try, you can go kill me, it's just going to take you a while, and I'm going to outscore you is a much better way of approaching the game at this point. Yeah, and that's what I found in my Space Marine matchups. I mean, like, barring like one turn that I can think of specifically, um, my, my opponents usually get killed more than me. I mean, it's like, it is what it is, you know? Um, or and if I managed to do the same amount of kills, I was ecstatic. I'm like, oh, cool! I get a one point swing here because I'm holding more. But yeah, that, that's the thing I can do. I can hold more than them because people don't want to come right into the charge range of 120 orc boys. Um, it's just not something people want to do. Uh, even if they, in the reality, is 30 orcs charging five Primaris Marines, maybe they pick up two, three, maybe four. You know, um, and then the Primaris Marines charge me on the next turn and punch me to death. But, you know, like it's it's it is a kind of a thing that you can play with horse where you play the mission, you deny your opponent some secondaries and you get all your secondaries and you get one more point them them on the primary on four out of the six turns. And then you're you're in the you're in the winning seat, you know? Yeah, especially because you play the secondary so well, too. They get four for Reaper, maybe one, one or two for Butcher's Bills, like you said, and. That's that. Yeah, and even if they get even if they get eight points on secondaries, um, and I get eleven, that's a three point swing. And then as as long as I don't let them get any more, as long as they're not getting four to my two in the primaries, I'm okay. Because as long as it's just even as three and three the whole game, I'm up by three points. And then I have two two or three turns where I could you know it could be. Uh, you know, three, three to two, or something. You know, something like that. And also, generally speaking, the board control armies are the ones that have a shot at the bonus. And the, you know, if so, if you're the board control army in this list, where the other guy's killing more, and you're getting cold more. That's a draw, but you have more play for the bonus, which can also swing it back in your favor. Yeah, and so like, you know, on some of the like the bonus missions where uh, mission five, where you place two, and then if you hold the two that you placed you get a bonus point. That one's real easy for me because I can be aggressive and I, I place that kind of pretty much on the, on the doorstep of their deployment zone. So I'm pushing that on turn one or two and it, turn one, I, cause I also have the jump. I can teleport a unit on turn one and make a, a eight inch charge with full rerolls. And you know, some that, that's not a, uh, always going to happen, but if I do make that gamble, then suddenly I'm getting a bonus point, you know, and you know, every bonus point is um, really important with uh, a list like mine. And Nick, I don't know if you want to talk about the new proposed ITC missions that are kind of in draft format right now and kind of going around for the beta test. Um, but yeah, we can go over them on like a, like a, how do you think they impact your work army and then any changes you're considering just real quick and we'll finish it up with that. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't think I'm going to change anything for the new missions. Um, and I, I've only like reviewed them once or twice. I haven't played them yet. I'm yeah. set to play a I game for, tonight. For the listeners, because this episode's going to go up in like a week or two. Uh, sure. The time of recording, we are doing this like two days after those draft missions were published. So understandably, Jeff has not necessarily become an expert in it yet. Yeah. and But, you know, just from, like you said, uh, the bonus point is a lot easier to score at the Horde. And the new 2020 season ITC missions have made the bonus point a lot more obtainable, um, and which gives a big boon to board control style armies. So if I have 120 orc boys sitting in the middle, I can 
pretty easily charge something or to jump somewhere to get a bonus point. Um, and that swings the math heavily in favor of my army because if we're each getting three primary points a turn, plus I'm getting a bonus point, and now I'm con- you know um, denying you secondary points because headhunter or butcher's bill or something like that. So I'm I'm having a you know three or four point lead on secondaries, and I'm getting two bonus points, three bonus points. That's a really tough um, uh, hill to uh, you know uh, mound to climb out of if you're if we're pushing on this on the primary mission so also with the new missions right they all have an odd number of objectives doesn't that also favor you so that you don't have those weird situations where there's like four objectives and you each hold to the whole game yes i think so the 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 one that had four with the priority objective one they added a new one to the middle which is really good and you can bonus by holding your opponent's priority or by holding three of the five objectives which is just like oh that's that's easy for me you know so i expect to be seeing a lot more bonus points scored by everyone in general uh, because i think players are going to adapt to make their armies more mobile and able to play maybe not a horde but to do some board control in the middle um, because of these new missions. And that's good for me because if people are going into the midfield to get bonus points, that means my orcs can charge them, you know, and like, yeah, unless you got some wraps off to dodge some shooting phases or just punch people in the face, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, exactly. And so because the bonus points are so tantalizingly not easy, but they're easier than they were, they kind of might tantalize people to be overly. So yeah. it's like, let me go for it. Yeah, it might it might might cause people to be a bit more aggressive with their playstyle when they should have been more conservative, you know, that kind of thing. So it, it, opening up more chance for player error. Awesome. So uh, actually it opens up chances for player error in both directions, right? So some people will be too aggressive and you'll punish them for it. Some people won't be aggressive enough and you'll punish them by taking the board from them, right? So it's uh because of the bonus points, they might get in too far into a hole early in the game to where they can't recover. I feel I feel like that can that's good. It's going to take a little while for people to sort of figure out where those lines are in those missions. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting to see how they how they play out and what the final versions look like. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I definitely wanted to go into your specific plans for different matchups in depth in the next episode. Uh, John, do you have any more questions for this one? Just a couple. Um, Jeff, where can people find you if they want to learn more about your take on orcs? Do you have anything social media-wise that you're doing or things that you want to promote? Yeah. I, like everyone else in 40K, am on a podcast. <laughs> uh, no, for real, though, actually. Um, uh, we, uh, Me and old man Alan Hernandez have a podcast called Focused Fire. Uh, focused with a D at the end. Uh, fire. And we are distributed through the TFG Radio Network. So Anywhere you can get your podcast, probably where you got this podcast, just search for TFG Radio and you can find the dulcet tones of uh, Alan Hernandez as he gripes about many things and is generally an old curmudgeon and myself as I walk my way through the podcast realm. And you also get the bonus of listening to um, all the uh, TFG Radio guys and they are some of the head judges for the LVO, so they kind of give the judges take on 40K. So it's a kind of a cool mix between the judge's perspective and uh, a more competitive perspective podcasts on that station. That's awesome. Well, thanks Jeff. We really appreciate you taking the time to sort of break down your list. Uh, And thanks everyone else for listening to this episode where you found us on the frontline gaming network. Uh, Just so everyone knows that we're going to be going over to episode two here in just a moment for our patrons. And if you're not a Patreon yet, uh, we certainly understand that, but just, just to be aware that the second episode, we go really deep into details of optimal play with the list. So we'll talk about matchups. We'll talk about, you know, what are what are his plans versus Tau, which is probably spoilers, don't charge the Tau. But <laughs> I want to hear what he says. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, and then we'll, you know, we'll dig into that. Uh, our Patreon now, I think, is, has over 30 hours of content available behind it. So it's $6 a month. It's a great value. There's tons and tons and tons of good information. Um, a lot of our patrons tell us that our second episode is actually better than our first. And a lot of people tell us our first episode is pretty good. So give that a, give that a try. We'd, we'd really appreciate it. And uh, this has been another episode of The Art of War. Like the strategy discussion you heard? Want to hear more about the tactics of this list? Sign up for our Patreon at aow40k.com. 
where we go deep into details of optimal play. This has been Art of War, a strategy and tactics podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Find us at AOW40K.com. And of course, connect on Facebook. Just look for AOW40K. 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 Till next time.